Hello everyone, my name is Oldar. Welcome to another episode of Ask Me About North Korea, a podcast about the most reclusive country in the world. In this podcast, I'm answering the most widespread questions about North Korean politics, society, and culture, in a short and concise manner, based on factual evidence. If you like this podcast, I would be grateful if you could share it with your friends, leave a positive review, make a donation, or subscribe. You can also visit the podcast website, www.askmeaboutdprk.wordpress.com. There you can access episode transcripts, as well as some other materials, such as book reviews, film recommendations, and online events. As the name of the podcast suggests, please feel free to ask me questions in your comments and reviews. I will do my best to answer them in the next episodes. And now, let's start. So, in this episode, I will be doing what I do best. Complaining. Okay, not exactly that. Actually, I would like to tell you about all the issues that North Korea watchers like me, or as some humorously call us, Pyongyangologists, have to face in their research. Perhaps if any of you ever get interested in this field or choose to conduct their own projects, you might find my ramblings somewhat useful. Studying North Korea could be quite challenging for many reasons. When I sat down to reflect upon this episode's question, I saw at least four different issues which could potentially be problematic. Nevertheless, I'm sure that people who have been working in the field of North Korean studies for decades could certainly add more points to this list. So, if you're listening and have any other ideas, please let me know. The first issue is that when studying North Korea, like with every country or region, you need to have a decent level of language fluency to be considered an expert. That is where problems begin. Korean on its own is already one of the most complicated languages in the world, at least according to the US State Department. But this is just a part of the issue. There's something else. While officially there is no North Korean and South Korean, the standard Korean language types that are spoken in these two different parts of the peninsula have grown apart from each other after more than 70 years of political division. Many words are different in these two standard dialects because the South Korean version has integrated many loanwords from English and other European languages. North Korea, on the other hand, avoids Anglicism at any cost, largely for political reasons. After all, the relations between Washington and Pyongyang are quite bad, and diplomatically non-existent. While learning the South Korean standard is hard, but possible due to a relatively wide availability of study materials, it is much harder to find North Korean textbooks. One has to rely on learning from actual North Korean media outlets, such as the official party newspaper Rodong Shingmun and propaganda video clips. Thus, there is a really small number of experts who can actually read and analyze materials which are produced in the DPRK. In order to become one, you have to work really hard. The second problem is that there is always a lack of information about the DPRK. As you might have realized from the previous podcast episodes, North Korea is not exactly one of the most open and transparent societies in the world. Its government can be very secretive, especially when it comes to politically sensitive issues like its nuclear program or the human rights situation in the country. The same applies to its national economy as well as military matters. Overall, the North Korean government releases only what it wants to release to the broader national public. At the same time, it attempts to suppress any connections between its populace and the outside world. In this situation, 
any standard data collection methods and field research, such as interviews and surveys, are practically impossible. Therefore, quite often researchers have to rely on meticulous analysis of the official North Korean publications, interviews with North Korean refugees and immigrants who had left the country, or on some low-quality secondary data and indicators such as rumor interpretation. Of course, this lack of information results in a distorted picture that we have of the country. Why does it matter, would you ask? Well, this distortion can be particularly dangerous in diplomacy when major politicians such as presidents and premiers from other countries interact with the DPRK. If they make a wrong decision based on distorted information, especially when it comes to military matters, this might have dramatic consequences not only for the countries involved, but for the broader region of Northeast Asia. Thirdly, there is a problem not just with the quantity, but also with the quality of information available. Even when the official North Korean authorities release some information, such as socioeconomic statistics, there is a very high chance that this is just a pile of burning garbage. The level of trust in Pyongyang's transparency is so low that even its closest partners, such as China, do not really trust it. What complicates the matters is that there is a plenitude of Western experts who often do not even speak any Korean or barely have any understanding of the East Asian region. Yet such experts also shout the loudest, creating massive confusion and producing low-quality publications. In the less academic sphere of media, there are many fakes that are produced about North Korea too. These fakes usually stem from the attempts of Western, Japanese and South Korean journalists to ridicule the regime in Pyongyang and, at the same time, get more clicks on their websites. While well, it is a rather usual production method in the mass media cultures of these countries, in the circumstances of North Korea, going through and filtering out such fakes becomes quite a pain in the neck. Or it can just be time-consuming and annoying. The field where such fakes are produced most often is the analysis of the actions of North Korean elites. Quite often we would hear about some sort of ridiculously inhumane execution in the DPRK only to see the executed official resurface in some sort of official political meeting. This is of course not to say that such executions do not happen, they do, but the information about them is often distorted. In a nutshell, my advice is, when you are reading something about the DPRK, you better double check the source. By the way, if you are interested in reliable sources of information, you can check out the list of media recommendations on the podcast website. Moving on. The fourth factor is that studying North Korea always requires a lot of patience and resilience. On the one hand, as an external North Korea watcher, there's so many instances when you are proven to be wrong, and you just have to accept that. Sometimes you have to make predictions and give policy advice even when you do not have any data. Hence, there is always so much speculation about North Korea, like whether Kim Jong-un died or how companies can do business with Pyongyang. On the other hand, if you are a Pyongyang-based diplomat, a representative of an international organization, a field worker of some humanitarian NGO, a tourist, or God forbid, a foreign journalist in the DPRK, you will be forced to abide by the weirdest and seemingly most irrational rules possible. Just to give you an example, the children of Pyongyang-based diplomats were banned from playing with snow in late 2020, early 2021, because of the pandemic, due to the fear of a potential COVID infection. 
Furthermore, attempting to promote at least some degree of progress in relations of North Korea with the outside world can be extremely wearisome at times. Quite a number of mid-level diplomats as well as academics, like Roland Bleicher, have shared their frustration with the stubborn negotiating style of the North Korean diplomats who refuse to make even slightest concessions. That's it for practical research complications. However, there is also something that doesn't affect the research activities so much, but rather your self-esteem and your mood when you work in this field. The subject of North Korea is very sensitive politically, and if you claim to be an expert in this area, or if you want to become one, you have to be prepared for tons of criticism. For example, if you are attempting to rationalize North Korea's actions, people are very likely going to pan you for either being too soft on Pyongyang or even accuse you of being a Kim Jong-un supporter. On the other hand, if you are too hawkish or confrontational, like Donald Trump or the notorious US national security advisor John Bolton, people might claim that you are being crazy and irrational because North Korea is dangerous, it has nukes. Whatever you say about the country, you should always be ready for a barrage of denunciations. What is even worse, the subject of North Korea has so many other sensitive subtopics, ranging from the heartbreaking stories of the North Korean refugees to the unsold issue of comfort women with Japan. So you never know when you might be stepping on a landmine. Yet in spite of, and partly thanks to those challenges, I still think that North Korea is an absolutely fascinating subject to study. In terms of international security and nuclear non-proliferation, it remains to be the hardest case to crack, or at least partially freeze at this point in time. That is what stimulates the most ambitious diplomats and specialists in the field of conflict studies to work even harder on this case. The more challenging the job, the better. Moreover, being one of the most, if not the most, informationally isolated societies in the world, North Korea still remains extremely enigmatic, and it is in human nature to wonder about the unknown. Any researcher loves unveiling mysteries and discovering new things. This is also the reason why, from a purely scientific standpoint, North Korean society represents a fascinating case study for political scientists, psychologists, sociologists, economists, and many other social scientists. Willingly or not, its population has become a part of one of the biggest and oddest social experiments in modern human history. And the unfortunate experiment has been going on for the past 73 years. Personally, what keeps me so interested in this subject is that there are so many complicated but fascinating social questions surrounding it. How do people live in what is referred to as the only remaining totalitarian regime on earth? How could we alleviate their plight? Can the North Korean regime evolve into something progressive? What would be the consequences of the Korean reunification? Is there a peaceful way to North Korean denuclearization? As you are trying to answer those questions, you might be attempting to unravel the fabric of an enigma wrapped in a mystery, and it is an awesome feeling. Yet, however hard you might try, there will always be something else to work on, and this makes studying North Korea worthwhile. What do you think, though? Is there something about North Korea that makes you curious? Have you tried doing any research on your own? Leave your opinion in the comments below or in the review section. If you like this episode, please leave a positive review on the podcast platform like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or make a donation on the podcast website, www.askmeaboutdprk.wordpress.com. 
Also, feel free to provide your feedback on this episode's quality and ask any questions about North Korea that you might have. Thank you for listening, stay healthy, and stay tuned.